That's the work of the Lord. The Lord has called this house to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So um, whether you're a new saint or an old saint, those that believe in God are to be equipped. And that's what God has asked us to do, to raise up the bride. So those that love the Lord, that they would be filled with power, endued from on high by the Holy Spirit. In the gospel of the kingdom, it says that man decided that their way was better. In the garden of Eden, Jesus created a place, literally on the earth, a physical location where he and mankind could be together, as in one heart, one spirit, one soul. His spirit encompassed them. But Adam and Eve decided that their way was better. They wanted to try their way. And that sin separated us from God. And we were born into that iniquity. In the Psalms, it says that I was conceived in sin. I was conceived in my iniquity. And that sin has led me to be separated from God. The wages of my separatedness is death because I was created to be connected to God. My original call was always to be born connected to God. But when I was born, I was separated. And that is why we go through our lives looking for that connection back with our source of life. And it feels like there's a hole in our hearts. It feels like there's a donut that we can eat the whole outside and gratify the soul, but never actually satisfied. There's that hole. And when the Holy Spirit opens your heart to say, I am that place, I am that whole, I am that source of life that you've been looking for, your flesh says, I cannot have that. The guilt consciousness of my sins have brought me to this place. It's my fault that you had to die. It's my fault that there needs to be something paid. It's my fault that this has come to this. And he says, you know what, you're right. It is your fault, but I love you because I love you because I love you because I love you and I don't want you to die because you were meant to be with me and actually I was meant to be with you. It says in 1 Corinthians that the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. (laughs) If God could be created, he was created for you to dwell in you. The Lord was for the body as the body was made for the Lord. It's a very powerful statement if you reverse it. This is the gospel of the kingdom that there had to be a blood paid for death. There had to be a death paid for the death that we owed. And so Jesus was the son of God who came and God gave him freely and said, this is my only son. I am so pleased in him, but I will give up his life that I may have my whole family back home. That's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish anymore, but have life and life abundantly. Yes? This is what we believe. 
This is the sanctifying work of God that when I believe unto his blood, his blood covers my sin and washes me clean. But then that wasn't the end of the story. He did die. But three days later, he said, I'm not going to stay dead. The Holy Spirit says, I have a say in this. And the Holy Spirit quickened his mortal body to breathe again. And the Holy Spirit raised Jesus up three days later. That's why we celebrate Easter to give praise to the power of the Holy Spirit that could make a dead man breathe alive again on his own without somebody praying for him, without somebody telling him to wake up. The Holy Spirit did it of his own accord, and he overcame death and the grave. Finally, one was put in the grave that got himself out. (laughs) The bondage that we were all called to go into, that one day you would see the shackles on your own hands, someone was able to take those shackles off and walk back out the door. His name is Jesus, and he's the only way to do the same thing. And when we believe unto him, we get baptized into that very grave. We say, this is the grave of Jesus, and I have been baptized into the same death. And as I go into the same death, I will come out the same way he did. The new body glorious, that the flesh that I've been fighting when I was born with in my iniquity and in my sin, I will not fight it anymore. It will be glorified. It will be sanctified, not because of what I've done, but only because of him. And that's the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. That's the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, this is the gospel of the kingdom. This is what he's done for us. This is what it means to be saved This is what it means when we say that. And when you've encountered it, you understand. It's a hard thing to understand until you've witnessed it for yourself. Let's go to 2 Timothy. Um, Brandy, I believe she started here last week. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. Is where we'll start. And it goes like this But the Lord, but know this that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Some say from such people shun, shun those people. And what's so interesting is that the world will say, I've seen a lot of these people in the church, and they avoid, like the Bible says. They turn away. They will have nothing to do with the church of God because they see these things in the church. The Bible is true. Uh, These people that are not really real, having a form of godliness, but denying its power from such people, turn away. And the world does that very well. Of course, they add spite to it and persecution to it and slander to it, of course, because that's in the top. 
But if the bride will have a form of godliness but no power, the world will shun them and has. And has. Judgment starts in the house of God, as we'll read in a few minutes. Judgment starts in the house of God. And so there is a concept of death and life in the Bible And we mentioned it, but the first death actually happened to the spirit of man. And it's an ironic thing because God said, if you eat of the tree, right, of knowledge, you will die. But when they ate of the tree, they did not die. They didn't fall over dead as if in the sense that we know. And this is the first instance right there at the beginning of the Bible where you have to have spiritual understanding but we see so often in the physical. We see in the physical realm, but he's asking us to look for the unseen realm. He's asking us to look to the spiritual realm, that there is more to life than just this realm, this this seen realm, but actually the unseen realm, the spiritual realm, is more real. And what happens in the unseen realm, the spiritual realm, affects and manifests in this realm. That's the truth. So what happened when they ate is all of a sudden that sin separated them. But you can't kill a spirit. Because the spirit of God births spirits. He's the father of all spirits, it says. You can't just, you can't just kill a spirit. So what is death to something that's a spirit? What is death to us? Being completely separated from God. Blackness. Darkness. There's the death of the soul because when the Spirit of God sparks that life in someone, the Spirit, boom, it creates something. It, it manifests something. That's the soul. But then there's that part of the flesh, <laughs> the spirit of a man. This is what I want to do. We call it the old man after we've been saved. That part of you is also like, I want to be satisfied And I have a say, because what God had originally intended was that there'd be the Spirit of God and the Spirit of man, and they would be one. How do I know this? Because Ephesians 5 says that a husband and a wife is the representation of the mystery of God and the church, and they are supposed to be one. There was always supposed to be the Spirit of man and the Spirit of God, one. And the soul in between was so unified, they would talk the same way, think the same way, have that same emotion that when he's grieving, I'm grieving. When he's excited, I'm excited because just as a husband and wife know what they think and what they feel about certain things and how they're excited about certain times of the day and certain times of the year and times of the month, those things become one. It's a representation of what should have happened. So you have the spirit of man that right when, he ate the, the, right when he ate the fruit of the tree, the separation happened, which is death to the spirit. And if you have separated your spirit from God, eventually what's going to happen is it's going to manifest in the flesh. And that is a slow process because of the breath of God is so immortal that it takes years for your, soul, for your flesh to finally perish. Do you understand? It's the corruption of sin. The corruption of sin that wears down the body till it finally just perishes. That's what's going on. That's what's happened. And so 
when we are born again, what happens? What happens when we're born again? God, boom, brings life back to the spirit of that man. I am been born again. That spirit is now connected back. There's life. The separatedness is no longer, but boom, I'm born again. But now I do not have my own identity. Now you've been birthed by a spirit of God that is his own. So now you don't have any control over your own. You are now been bought at a price, and now the Spirit of God has birthed you, and now you are of the Spirit of God. What? <laughs> yes, that's what's happening. So that's why you have the DNA or the, the body of Christ being sanctified in you, and it's the opposite. Instead of the bondage of corruption making your flesh perish, it's the Spirit of God now bringing your flesh back to eternal life. The glorifying, sanctifying work of Jesus. This is what the Bible is talking about. That's the thread of understanding death and life in the Bible. It's the spiritual unseen realm. Amen? This is glorious. This is glorious. This is glorious. Then there's something supernatural that happens. God says, I am going to create your soul and your flesh to start thinking like I'm thinking, to start feeling like I'm thinking, to start being one with me, one with me. But there's another way we can do this. I want to live in you. I'm making a body, not just so you have a glorified body. I'm making a body that's going to be a temple. For what? For the Holy Spirit. And many Christians go through their life being born again, being made into the image and likeness of God, but they never get that indwelling. Because the devil stops them short and says, no, 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 no. You don't want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's too scary. That makes you something else. That makes you out of your mind. I've been told that. Why? Because what would the devil be seeing? He would be seeing a walking, breathing temple of God. He has no access to the to any of the courts of heaven. He has no access to any of the courts of heaven, to the holies of holies, to the most holy place. And God's like, no, 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 no. I don't want you to just be a living, breathing, awesome, one with me, child of God. I want, to be, I want you to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. How do we know this? In the end of John, at the end of the book of John, Jesus is raised, right? And he enters into the room with his glorified body and he goes to each one of his disciples and breathes in them. He breathes in them, says, your sins are forgiven. Peace be with you. He says this. Okay, that's not the baptism of the Holy Spirit because the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens where Jesus is not in the room. So why did he say, I give you the Holy Spirit? With him in the room. Why did he say that? So they could be, boom, born again. Boom, born again. So then they have now that sanctifying work in process. And seven weeks later from the death of Jesus, he says, this is what I've been doing this whole time, is I'm made a waste for I can indwell with you so that the word Emmanuel will be complete. God with us. Amen, U-L. His name will be Jesus, and he will save 
his people from their sins, but he will also be Emmanuel, God with us. You have to have both encounters, both revelations. He is the Savior of the world that takes away my sin. And I am born again, and I have a seal of the Holy Spirit that makes me into his likeness eventually because he is faithful to complete it. But he wanted more. He said, there's a better covenant. That just fulfills the Old Testament. There's a New Testament. A better covenant that says Holy Spirit will be in you forever as if you are the temple of the living God. And when somebody comes near you, they can encounter the presence. The presence. You are now a priest that is in charge of the holy place. You are now a priest that's in charge of the most holy place, a kingdom of priests unto our God. That's in Revelation. What does this have to do with 2 Timothy 3? If you are having a form of godliness but denying its power, if you're having a form of godliness but denying its power, it's just religion. It's just religion. Those things which keep us from showing the glory of God in us. This, this is the paradox. We have a very wise elder in our house, and she told us once, don't fear the paradox. And there is a lot of paradoxes in what we call Christianity. <laughs> don't fear the paradox. I am the temple of the living God, but yet I boasted yesterday. I am the temple of the living God. I am raising children in the house of the Lord, but yet they've been disobedient to me today. The paradox of that, we're in that transition period of our life on the earth and our days are numbered, as we sang today, of that drop in the bucket or as grass withers, as it says in Isaiah, of that transition period between the glorification and getting there. And it's like... Oh, God, you're going to perfect what is in your hands, but it is a slow perfection sometimes. We can help the process by going through the cross. We can help the process by going through the cross. Go to Luke 9. Don't fear the paradox, but help the process by going through the cross. Luke 9, 23, 23 and 24. Then Jesus said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake We'll save it. And we, we hear this, but what does it actually mean to take up a cross? How do we see this in the spiritual realm? If it's not the physical, what is this? Do you understand? If it wasn't the actual apple <laughs> in the garden that killed the spiritual man, what is this? How do you take up your cross and follow Jesus? We say it all the time because he says it four times. And, well, he says it three times in every single gospel except John. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Go to John 12. John 12, 23. John 12. Brandy mentioned this last week that even a grain, we understand as farmers, or at least my house, we had a lot of farmers, that things have to die in order for things to multiply. Things have to die in order for things to multiply, right? It's even, it's even with our livestock. You can feed multiple people with one cattle. You can feed multiple people with one pig, if you would, in Iowa especially. Have you seen the pigs in Iowa? One pig can feed a multitude of people, but something has to die to see it happen. You can't just look at it. In the same way Jesus talks about that, right? In 23, you with me? But Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies... It remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, but he who hates his own life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So there's this concept that both the body and the spirit give nourishment to the soul. If your flesh is giving, or your old man, right, that old one that's dead in the grave, is giving nourishment to your soul, it will lead to death. But if the spirit of God is giving nourishment to your soul, it will lead to life. There's this concept that if my my one that I, the, the, the body in this transition period that I put into the baptism, that I put into the grave, if I let him speak and give nourishment or satisfaction to my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, how I feel, if I let the flesh give me satisfaction, it's eventually going to lead to death where I put the old man. But if I let the Spirit of God, I know I'm switching places here, but be with me. If I put the Spirit of God giving nourishment to my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, satisfy my soul, O oh God. My delight is found in you, O oh God. You are my rock. You, I will taste and see that the Lord is good, that there is honey in the rock. There is, this, there is a satisfaction of the soul. You are the lover of my soul. You are the anchor of my soul. You are the of my soul. It's the, the verbiage, the verbiage, the language of the Bible then it will lead unto life, and life abundantly. This is that state that we're in, the sanctifying work of God. And he allows us to wrestle. He allows us to see the vomit that we go back to until we see that it's vomit. He's like, I know what it is, but I can tell you all day long, don't do that, 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 don't do that. And then it's just religion to you. But when you actually see it for what it is, you're like, what was I doing? 
And there's the deliverance. Because then when you see it as for what it is, then you're like, oh God, what have I been doing? And he goes, I forgive you. And there's the turning away from it. And that's the sanctifying work because he who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. Yes, this is that work. But how can we do that process? You have to go to where he is. What does it say? If anyone serves me, the 26, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. <laughs> if anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now put your, put your mental highlighter there, right? 26, and go to Hebrews 13. So the flesh gets in our way. <laughs> The flesh is our own way, as we say, and the Spirit of God is the way to eternal life. You with me? We're, gonna, we're building here, right? You know what we do. We're building. Go to Hebrews 13. Remember that where I am, there my servant will be also. Hebrews 13, 11 says this. You there? Hebrews 13, verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned outside the camp. We're talking about the Old Testament, that you would bring a sacrifice. I said it in prayer, that God, you would take our offerings, the offerings of our sacrifice of praise, as it says in Psalms, that it cost me something to praise you. It cost me something, that I didn't go and sell the cattle. I gave it to God. I didn't make a profit on it. I gave it to the Lord. And as I give it to the priest as an offering, it cost me. It cost me my time. It cost me my heart. It cost me the affections of my heart to give to God. It cost me the kneeling of my heart. It cost me the adoration of my affection towards you today. The offerings of our praise. In the Old Testament, they would show the physical as a representation of what was happening in the spirit, hopefully that their hearts would not be far from God. But the priests would take those bodies whose blood was brought into the sanctuary by the high priest, and then after they took the blood and what they needed to, they would take them outside of the temple area, outside of the tabernacle area, even outside of the camp when they were walking around in the wilderness. Outside. We know that God did that for health reasons, but also as a prophetic act to what was going to happen to his son. He would take them away from the whole, and they would go all the way outside of the camp and burn them out there. Go to verse 12. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Wow, right? Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Okay, we just read that where I am, there my servants will be also. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. To go where Jesus is outside the camp, where is he? He's on a cross. That's what happened here. He left, he went outside of Jerusalem, outside the camp, outside the city to Golgotha, to the place of the skull and was on a cross. And he says, where my servants are, they will be with me also. And in Hebrews, it says, let us there go forth towards him. So how do you go to towards him? Take up your cross and follow him. That is the mindset. That's the image. It's like, oh, how do I do that? 
<laughs> right? How do I do that? Bearing his reproach. There is something in the Bible called the sufferings of Christ. That's what we're getting into. The sufferings of Christ. How do you, how do you help the process? You go through the sufferings of Christ. You choose to let the reproaches of Christ break you. There's no other way to put it. You let the reproaches of God break your soul. Break you. And it helps the process of the flesh truly dying and the Spirit of God really making you live. If you think about it this way, when you were baptized, you saw your grave. You saw the, the place where Jesus went down. And now, for the rest of your life, you're trying to put your members to death in it. That's what it says in Colossians. Therefore, put to death the members of your body. So if you've seen your grave, it's like, I got a stake in this grave of Jesus, and now I'm going to put to death the rest of my life the members of my body that keep me from the everlasting life that I have inside of me. It's like you're taking it off and putting it in where they belong. Isn't that interesting? It's a different way to see it. So you take up your cross and go with the reproaches of Christ. Verse 13, let's keep going. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So here's two ways that we can go through the cross. Did you see it? Truly worshiping and not lip service. Truly being broken before God. Truly knowing what it means to take the blood and take the body. Truly knowing what it means to gather together and give him our praise. As if it's a sacrifice. That actually breaks your soul when you say, it's not about me right now. It's about you, God. I don't know if I'm going to get anything to go home with. I don't know if I'm going to be refreshed. I don't know if I'm going to be rejuvenated from 1030 to 1230 or whenever this preacher stops preaching. But it's not about me. Yes, I know. <laughs> it's about you. And it's a sacrifice to praise you. But it's not because I don't want to. I want to go through this. I want to go through this. What else? That you would do what is right and to give and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Right? Um, the Bible says it this way. If you love only those who love you, what does it cost? If you only give to those who you know will give back to you, what did it cost you? That's the sacrifice that we're talking about. If you do what is easy for you to do, how much have you actually gained? If you only invite those over to your house who you know will 
you enjoy and they say the same things you do and won't say anything bad about the cowboys and they, you know, how much have you actually cost? How much have you actually paid? Right? Cubs fans, it doesn't matter. They all say the same. They all say something bad. (laughs) We have to make light because it's a heavy subject, but that is the cost. That's that uncomfortable feeling of, I don't know what to say to this person, but I'm going to try to love them and get to know them like Jesus would know them. That is a sacrifice well pleasing to God that breaks your soul. It breaks you because it's not about you. It's all of a sudden about them. And it helps that process of being more Christ-like by the Spirit of God. Are you with me? Go to Romans 8. Romans 8. The sufferings of Christ that we would take up our cross and go where he is, outside the camp. But you're taking on these sufferings taking on the sufferings of God through Christ Jesus. Um, Are you there? Romans 8. Okay, I'm going to start in verse 5. Verse 5 says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Here's that pull that I was talking about. For to be carnally minded is going to lead to death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is at enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it ever be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But if you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God does what? Dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not Christ. 10. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. That's what we were talking about. You see it? There's the paradox. Say it with me. Don't fear the paradox. Say it with me. Don't fear the paradox. Here it is. 10. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. Yet at the same time, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Wow. Right? Verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. But I wish he would have said today. Because so often as Christians, we say, when I get in the second coming. You put that there. You added it. Oh, he will give life to my mortal body in the second coming when I'm raised to life. What if that meant, and it does, today? That's what we're doing. That's what this life is about. It says that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life today to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. You see it? The present tense changes everything. Go to 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit, 
but by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Go to verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You see? Are you hearing it? This is the message all in one, right? The verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Okay, quick question. What are the sufferings? What do they look like? Because oftentimes we're like, oh man, I'm suffering. I'm going through a suffering part right now. And these sufferings at this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of God. But I'm here to tell you that unless those sufferings are the sufferings of Christ, they are in vain. We can go through really hard times and not know Christ in them. And they will be for naught. These have to be the sufferings of God, the reproaches of Christ, as we read in Hebrews, to allow that work, that sanctifying work, to actually take place in your soul. How do I know this? Go to First Peter. First Peter four. Yeah, good news. Yes, maybe. <laughs> 1 Peter 4, 12. These must be the sufferings of Christ or you are suffering for naught. Why? Because do everything for the glory of God. In all that you do, do for the glory of God. Yes? Not for I, Lord, but for you. 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial of which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. That fiery trial is the sufferings that we're talking about. Yes? 13. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If, big if, put a big if, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's being blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Verse 15. But, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. I love that. It's like, these are really serious. And then as a busybody? (laughs) You hear it. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Wait a minute. He's talking about us. He's talking about us. Why is this important? It's important because remember how we started? Beware, because in the end times, you will be lovers of money, boastful, haughty, disobedient to parents. They could have added all of these here. 
And so what's the warning? The warning is, is if you are suffering, make sure that it's not because you're gossiping, you're prideful, you're haughty, you're boasting in yourself. Because if that is what you're walking in and you have a form of godliness but denying its power, then you are reaping what you sow. And you're saying that my sufferings at my workplace, my sufferings at my workplace are just the trial of the devil or man, I'm just getting beat up by Satan right now. But it's actually because you haven't humbled yourself before God and asked him, why is this happening? Is this for you because I'm a Christian for your glory? Because then it's going to give me gain. Or is it because of me and my and myself and it's coming back upon me? Do you see that? That's what he says. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, verse 14, blessed are you. But then verse 15 says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, thief, an evildoer, as a busybody getting into other people's business. Huh. That's the separating of the spirit and the soul is this fiery trial that I'm in, is this time of really hard time where I just feel like I'm weary. Is it because I know that I have seen and been with God and I am going with him outside the camp? Is it because I have taken up a cross and every single one in my workplace sees it? Or is it because I care about me And I'm a lover of this, and I'm a lover of pleasure, I'm a lover of, and I'm a gossiper. That will bring the suffering upon you as well. But it will not lead you to the spirit of life. It will lead you to strife and eventually the death of your soul. You hearing this? This is where the judgment is in the house of God. That's what it says. If this is what God is splitting between us, this is the hairs that he's splitting, then it must matter to him. It must matter to him. I want to end in Matthew 5 here. Colossians 3, 5 says this, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, halfway through says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us or entangles us and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus outside the camp, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's the difference. Are you going through the suffering for you? As in, God, get me through this so that I can get to that point. God, get me through this so that I can have this. Get me through this so that I will have peace. Or are you going through it for the glory of the Lord? As in, we sang today that heart of my own heart, whatever will be. Heart of my own heart, whatever will be. High King of heaven, thou vision thou art. The vision that I have is no matter what happens to me, it's not about me. That's the suffering of Christ, where he said, for the joy set before him that the glory of God might be manifested, he goes through the shame. And as a Christian, that's what it's about. 
that you're going through the sufferings, you're going through the reproaches, you're going through the persecutions, not for your glory or not for your sake or not for you to experience something, but the heart of it is, this is for God to be glorified and that's all that matters. Then it will produce fruit in you. It's interesting. We say it all the time, right? Abide in me and I in you and you will bear much But then we just read that the only way to bear a multiplication of fruit is to die. (laughs) What? Abide in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. But the only way to bear much fruit is for it to die. So if you're going to abide with Jesus, you're going to (laughs) die. If that's what it looks like to stay with Jesus, to stay with him, it looks like a lot of little deaths. A lot. It, that's what it takes. He says, those, those who follow me, take up your cross. And it is a lot of little deaths of putting those members to death. Yeah? Matthew 5 is where we'll end here. I hope your understanding is increasing. Matthew 5, 14 and 16 says this, or 14 through 16 says this, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In James, it says that faith is seen by your works. The faith that you have that what God is doing in me is greater. It is seen by how we are working, that we have a form of godliness with power and not just a form. But I think it's interesting because this was before electricity and now if Jesus were to see (laughs) our houses, they're often covered up with baskets (laughs) because of how bright an electric light bulb is, we have to diffuse it with lampshades. We don't just have light bulbs. Well, some people do, but it's pretty bright. You can't just look at a light bulb. You have to diffuse it. You have to put a basket over it to diffuse how bright it is. Do you, is nobody has lampstands in this, this room. Okay, lampshades. Okay, good. My house does. Come to my house. What? What am I trying to say here? I'm saying he knows that in his time, baskets were weaved. If you put a basket over a lamp, okay, and the fire was still able to have oxygen, if you turned out all the lights, you could still see light through that basket. It's still punching through the flesh, if you would. Because the basket is the old man that you're keeping over the glory of God that dwells in you. And what he's wanting you to do is start cutting the basket Put to death the members of your bodies. Throw off the things that so easily ensnare you and entangle you and run that race. That's the work of sanctification of this life. That that basket would start coming off. That's what it is, right? It's like, he's like, start cutting the lampshade and see how bright the room gets. That type of imagery is what it looks like to go through the sufferings of Christ the sufferings of Christ, of being baptized and baptized and baptized. I know of people that will baptize themselves even after they've been baptized. 
It's like I give it all away again, God. I'm dying again as a spiritual act. Like they have the public baptism, but then in their own private bathroom, they fill up the tub and they dunk themselves. Is that biblical? Probably not. But it is the walk of faith that when you abide with God and you abide in Christ, where is he at? He's outside the camp. And how do I get there? I have to take my own cross and I got to walk with him. And if I abide in him, I'm going to bear much fruit. But the only way to get fruit is I die. That's what it looks like to go through the sufferings and the reproaches of Christ for his glory alone. And that's what he's calling us to do. He's asked us to rise to the occasion. It's very interesting because he did rise. But how did he get to that point? Amen. Let's stand and let us pray. And if you have a need of anything, we will pray for you. If you want to know the Lord in this way, then come and and receive him as your savior. And uh, yes, we will be here. Holy Spirit, this is a deep saying, but we can know it. You are not one who hides things so that they're not found. You hide them so that we can find them. And I thank you, Father, for this process of sanctification, the work of making us like Jesus. That's what it's about, (laughs) that we would be like your son. And I thank you that we have this hope that he walked just like me so that he showed me I can do it. I can do it just like he did it. But it takes a reliance upon your Holy Spirit. It takes a reliance upon the cross and carrying it myself for your glory, God. And only yours alone, yours and yours alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This message was brought to you by the Garden Gathering Church, a family of spirit-filled believers in San Angelo, Texas. We long to encounter God's presence and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. If you'd like to find out more, go to www.thegardenstc.org to realize how the revelation of Jesus Christ can fulfill your mandate in the kingdom of heaven.